of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject was the Torah nailed to the cross? This is part two of the series. And next we're going to look at a verse from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 that is commonly misunderstood and many times interpreted to mean that when Yeshua died on the tree, he nailed the Torah to the cross. But is that really what the verse is saying? Let's examine it more closely. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 it is written, And having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So the Greek word translated as ordinances is the Strong's number 1378 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary, and it is the Greek word dogma. So next we're going to look at some occurrences of this Greek word dogma in the scriptures, and we're going to see that it's mainly associated with man-made decrees. One form of a man-made decree is a decree of a king or a ruler or one that has authority over you, and most often these forms of decrees come from government officials. So let's look at some examples of that. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1 it is written, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree, a dogma, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And then in Acts chapter 17 verse 7, Whom Jason has received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Yeshua. So dogma, or man-made decrees, isn't just limited to a king or one who has authority over another, coming from one who might be a government official. But there can be man-made decrees that come from religious authorities as well. In the next example from the scriptures that we're going to study are the man-made decrees that came from the Pharisees. And it was from the Pharisaic sect in the first century from which came the rabbis of rabbinic Judaism, who today would be called Orthodox Jews, or simply Judaism for short. And these decrees of the rabbis come from what is called the Oral Torah. And the Oral Torah is the rabbinic interpretation of the written Torah and the decrees or the rulings that they make regarding issues of life that are associated to the written Torah. And the rabbis teach that their interpretation of the written Torah and their decrees or the Oral Torah supersedes 
or is superior or is above the written Torah text itself. And that in order to protect the commandments of the written Torah, you need to put what they call a fence around the Torah. We can see this from Pirkei Avot, or the Sayings of the Fathers, chapter 1, verse 1, as it says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua. Joshua transmitted it to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly, those in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah who came back from Babylonian captivity and were spiritual leaders over the Jewish people. They, that is the men of the great assembly, said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise many students, and make a protective fence for the Torah. In the art scroll, which is an Orthodox Jewish publisher, to the book of Genesis, or Breshit, in the introduction on page 41, there we see that the rabbis teach that the oral Torah, that is, the decrees and rulings of the rabbis, were taught at Mount Sinai. The oral Torah was taught in its entirety to Moses during his 40 days and 40 nights in heaven. And then from essentially Chino, Midrash Rabbah, Volume 6, page 736. It further details that the rabbis teach that the Oral Torah, which many of the teachings of the Oral Torah was written down in a work called the Talmud, that everything in the Talmud was given at Mount Sinai as well, as it says. They were all given to Moses on Sinai and contained statutes and ordinances, the Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and Haggadah. And then, in the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 613, we see that the rabbis teach that the Mishnah is greater than Scripture, as it says. The Mishnah, which is superior, or supersedes, the written Scripture. So, from the Talmud, in Pesahim 115a... We can see that the rabbis teach that their interpretation and their decrees overrides or supersedes biblical commandment, as it says. And even on the view that precepts cannot nullify each other, that only applies to a biblical precept as it relates to other biblical precepts, or a rabbinical precept with a rabbinical precept. But in the case of a scriptural and a rabbinical precept, the rabbinical one comes and nullifies or supersedes the scriptural precept or commandment. From the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, Volume 9, page 32, we can see that the rabbis teach that their rulings and decrees and interpretation is above the written Torah, as it says. The injunctions of the rabbis are more beloved than those of the Torah. If a man says there is no command to put on phylacteries, thus transgressing a precept or commandment of the written Torah, the written Torah gives no explicit penalty for such a violation. But if a person says that there are five compartments in the phylacteries, thus transgressing the injunction or a ruling or a decree of the rabbis, he is subject to a penalty by the rabbis. Furthermore, we can see from the Talmud and Aravin 21b how the rabbis teach that their interpretation or decrees overrides biblical commandment. And when you violate a rabbinical ruling or decree, you are subject to the ultimate penalty of death, 
as it says, My son, be more careful in the observance of the words of the scribes, or rabbinical rulings, than in the words of the written Torah itself. For in the laws of the Torah, that is the written Torah, there are positive and negative precepts or commandments. But as to the laws of the scribes or the rabbis, whoever transgresses any of the enactments or the rulings or the decrees of the scribes or the rabbis incurs or is subject to the penalty of death. And then the rabbis teach that the God of Israel himself must listen and follow the decrees and the rulings of the rabbis. From Pesikta Rabati, section 3, a person must not say, I will not keep the commandment of the elders because they are not from the Torah. The Almighty says to such a person, No, my son, rather all that they decree upon you observe, as it is written, according to the instruction which they teach you. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 11. Even I, that is, the God of Israel himself, or Yahweh must obey their decree as it is written. You will decree and he will fulfill it. Job chapter 22 verse 28. So as explained in the Torah Anthology to the commentary to the book of Deuteronomy, volume 17, page 32, it explains in rabbinical Judaism, washing your hands before a meal is required to be done by the rabbis through their rabbinical decrees. As it explains, ritual washing of both hands before a meal containing bread is mandatory, even if one's hands are immaculate or doesn't need washing. And then in the Talmud explains in Barahot 19a that you could be potentially excommunicated from the Jewish community for not following rabbinical decrees and for not washing your hands before you eat a meal. As it says, Rabbi Joshua, son of Levi, further said, in 24 places we find that the Beit Dean or the rabbinical court inflicted excommunication for an insult to a teacher, and they are all recorded in the Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer asked him where. He replied, see if you can find them. He went and examined and found three cases, one of a scholar who threw contempt on the washing of hands, another of one who made derogatory remarks about scholars after their death, and a third of one who made himself too familiar towards heaven. Or in other words, he didn't have the proper reverence or fear of heaven. So it's with this background and understanding that the rabbis teach through their decrees, called the oral law, that you must wash your hands before you eat. In regarding this issue in Matthew chapter 15, where Pharisees came to Yeshua and asked him regarding his disciples why they did not wash their hands before they ate bread. We see this in Matthew chapter 15 verse 2 as it is written. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, that is the oral law, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread? So Josephus explains in Antiquities 13.10.6 that the oral law is called the tradition of the fathers. 
The Pharisees have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the law of Moses. And for that reason, it is that the Sadducees reject them and say that we are to esteem those observances to be obligatory, which are in the written word, but are not to observe what is derived from the tradition of the forefathers. So Yeshua answered the question posed by the Pharisees to him in Matthew chapter 15 verse 3 regarding why Yeshua's disciples don't wash their hands before they eat a meal or eat bread, thus violating the oral law or the rabbinical decrees of the rabbis. And he answered them by saying in Matthew chapter 15 verse 3, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God? In other words, don't follow the written Torah by your tradition, or in other words, your interpretation of the written text and the rabbinical decrees regarding the interpretation. And as a result, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, But in vain they do worship me. Why does he say me? Because it was Yeshua himself that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And following Yeshua's Torah that he gave at Mount Sinai is worshiping him. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Then Yeshua taught in Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 and 2 and verse 4 that the oral law rabbinical decrees of the rabbis placed heavy burdens upon God's people in attempting to follow his Torah or his commandments. As it is written, Then spake Yeshua, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, meaning they make interpretations regarding the Torah. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, or command that they be followed. Now, in the second temple, in the first century, there was a division in the temple that separated Jews from non-Jews. So, this separation was in the form of a physical barrier, a wall of partition. And Paul spoke about this wall of partition in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, as it is written, For he, Yeshua, is our peace. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So Josephus made mention of this middle wall of partition in Antiquities 15.11.5 where he explains, Now in the western quarter of the enclosures of the temple there were four gates. Thus was the first enclosure, in the midst of which and not far from it was the second, to be gone up to by a few steps. This was encompassed by a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under the pain or the penalty of death. And so in the book of Acts, Paul was accused of bringing non-Jews into the area of the temple, which was designated to be for Jews only. And from this accusation against him, they wanted to kill him or put him to death. We can see this in Acts chapter 21 verse 27 as it is written. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, 
that is Paul, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. Next verse, Acts chapter 21, verse 28, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man that brought Greeks, or non-Jews, also into the temple, and as a result, has polluted the temple, or this holy place. Continuing in Acts chapter 21, verse 30, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as a result of this, they wanted to kill Paul, as it says in Acts chapter 21, verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came under the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So this is what Paul was explaining in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, that making a separation or a distinction between Jew and non-Jew brought about divisions between Jew and non-Jew. And man-made rabbinical decrees and rulings stood between the God of Israel making reconciliation with his people and with the world as a result of the sin that is in the world. So Yeshua removed all barriers to people in the world, whether they be Jew or non-Jew, from being reconciled or having personal relationship with the God of Israel because of their sin. And this is what Paul was explaining in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 as it is written. For he, Yeshua, is our peace or shalom. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition or anything that divides or comes between us and the God of Israel in being reconciled to him. Verse 15, having abolished or did away in his flesh, that is dying on the tree and shedding his blood, the enmity, which means hatred, that comes about from the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's man-made decrees or rulings, one of which are rabbinical decrees that comes forth as a result of the oral Torah. So it's sin, it's hatred and division among peoples. That was a stumbling block or a hindrance. To the God of Israel, making reconciliation with his people and with the world. And it's these obstacles that Yeshua removed when he shed his blood and died on the tree. It was not the Torah or the commandments or the instructions of the God of Israel that was the problem that Yeshua did away with when he died on the tree. But instead, the problem was our sin. And Yeshua removed that sin problem when he died on the tree if we will repent of our sins and accept Yeshua's shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And if we will repent for violating the Torah and put our faith in Yeshua as our Savior and Lord. So as an example in the scriptures of a division that comes about from a heart attitude of the people of the God of Israel in the scriptures, we are going to look at Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 14 through 17. And we're going to see there that it's the house of Judah or the Jewish people say to the brethren of the northern kingdom or the ten tribes, that the land of Israel belongs to them. But through the prophet Ezekiel, the God of Israel is going to say, no, the land belongs to all my people, all 12 tribes. So beginning in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 14, it is written, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, your brethren, even your brethren, the men of your kindred, and all the house of Israel holy. 
which means the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, Ephraim, or the house of Joseph, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that is the house of Judah or the Jewish people, have said about them, the ten tribes, Get you far from the Lord, because unto us is this land given in possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the nations, that is the ten tribes, because the northern kingdom or the house of Israel is regarded as being far off in their scattering unto the nations, as we're told in Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. And although I've scattered them among the countries, once again referring to the ten tribes, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. That is because Yeshua, the good shepherd, John chapter 10, verses 11 and verse 14, is prophesied in Psalm chapter 80 to lead Joseph like a flock. In other words, a remnant from the northern kingdom would believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And as a result, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, regarding being a little sanctuary among them, being scattered in the nations, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So the God of Israel declares through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 17 that he will gather both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom back to the land of Israel as it is written. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered, that is the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, and I will give you the land of Israel. So even in the art scroll commentary to Ezekiel on pages 198 and 199, they see that these words were spoken regarding the northern kingdom where it is explained, since the entire exiled community, including the ten tribes, was the butt of Jerusalem's derision, that is the house of Judah, or the Jewish people, it follows that the forthcoming promise of reconciliation includes them all, both northern kingdom and southern kingdom. So how did Yeshua make one new man between northern kingdom and southern kingdom? It was in the Spirit, through the shedding of his blood on the tree, by providing forgiveness of sins, by accepting him as Savior and Lord. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, Yeshua has made both Jew and non-Jew one in Messiah, and thus reconciled both Jew and non-Jew, and thus the entire world, unto God the Father. So Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 18, as it is written, For to make in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. For through him we both, Jew and non-Jew, have access by the one Spirit unto the Father. Because Paul explains that middle wall of partition has been broken down, and that the God of Israel is not a respecter of persons. And in the Spirit, there is no difference between Jew and non-Jew. As Paul explains in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, as it is written, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek or the non-Jew. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek in the Spirit. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female in the Spirit. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. 
So next, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. In the verse that traditional Christianity often quotes and interprets that Yeshua nailed the Torah to the cross, is Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Well, that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject, Was the Torah Nailed to the Cross? Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.